I wanted to bring you uh, this message this morning as we continue our series uh, on the book of Galatians uh, entitled The True Gospel. Um, I've shared over the past few weeks that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to first century Christians in the region of Galatia, um, and he's addressing some uh, people who have infiltrated the church, um, gotten into this relatively new community of, of believers, and they're teaching that the gospel, the good news, the message of Christ, is not enough, uh, right? They're saying, sure, Jesus on the cross is great and all of that, and he rose from the grave, uh, yes, that's that's salvation, but you still need to eat certain ways. You still need to follow the Mosaic law. Uh, the men must be circumcised. They're teaching this legalism um, and all these things to actually have a relationship with God, not just Christ on the cross. And again, Paul is correcting these falsehoods all through this letter. And uh, I guess this would be considered fa- uh, fake news, right, in the first century of this addition to the gospel of Jesus Christ with all these laws and all this religious activity. So um, Paul in chapter 3 had been referring to the covenant um, God made with Abraham. We talked about that last week and the the promise that God made to Abraham to bless all the nations through the offspring, through his seed. Uh, He said in chapter 3, his Abraham's seed, which is Christ. And so Paul has given a a bit of a a history lesson um, uh, here. So to put it in context, Paul's talking about three events, right? He's talking about first the promise made to Abraham. um, Second, the giving of the law through Moses, which happened later, in which uh, the Jewish Christians were having a real hard time um, with. And then finally, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and the world, as well as the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus, Abraham's seed. And so that brings us to the title of today's message, which is, What's in a Promise? Because we're going to look at this promise um, that God made to Abraham and to all of us um, and what that promise actually is. And so Paul turns his attention to that promise here in chapter 4. And it is in the promise that we find the true gospel. So I'm going to begin reading in chapter 4. And just a few verses this morning, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. And it reads like this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. So Paul is continuing from chapter 3, right? And so it sounds kind of like he's in mid-thought. He kind of is, but he's moving on. And so he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for preserving it and bringing it to uh, to us this morning. Lord, may we learn what you would have us learn from this. Um, God, speak your truth to our hearts and may we be doers and not hearers only. God, we open our hearts before you and ask you to to speak, Lord, as we uh, seek to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So Paul begins this section with an analogy of a child and a slave, right? Um, his point is that when we're trying to live according to the elementary principles of the world, meaning hu- human logic, human effort, then we're like children who've not yet matured uh, to the place of receiving the inheritance we've been promised because we're still holding on to our toys. Let's see, there was... Um, this was a Roman province in Galatia, and there was a Roman custom that on a day a boy or a girl uh, grew up and reached adulthood, uh, they would offer the boy would offer his ball and the girl would offer her doll to Apollo to show that they had put away childish things. And so Paul was referring to these Christians, although they have every blessing under the promise, they have the inheritance. They're acting like children. They're acting like slaves with with no inheritance and no promise, clinging to the elementary things of the world. And he'll go into that a little more as we we read this. Um, And so, again, last week we looked at the actual interaction between the angel of the Lord and Abraham in which uh, God uh, reaffirmed the promise to bless all peoples of the world through Abraham's seed, which is Christ. And so then... Here we see Paul unpack that promise a little bit um, and what it means for us right now as believers and these first century believers as well, the fulfillment of the promise. And so we're going to look at a few things uh, about what the promise is this morning. First of all, the promise is redemption, right? There in verse 4 and 5, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. See, uh, the idea of this, this beginning phrase, the fullness of time, is that God, when the time was exactly right, his perfect timing, when it was, everything was perfect, Jesus came at that exact right time in God's redemptive plan. When the world was perfectly prepared, for God's work. Now, why was this the exact fullness of time, right time? We don't know. There's a lot of uh, practical things at that uh, time. Uh, Because of Rome, you know, it was possible that people could travel all through the region. They could travel all over the place and uh, to the diverse regions and even uh, to other parts of the world. Uh, Also, the, the Greek language had become all pervasive. And so, um, the communication of information uh, was more prevalent. Um, But the point is, whatever the reason, it was God's sovereign, perfect plan at this time. The table had been set. The prophets, the prophecies, this moment in in Israel's history from creation, the fall, the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants, right? The sacrificial system, All of that was pointing to this moment when the promise of God would be fulfilled. Redemption and restoration of mankind to the Father. That relationship having been broken in the garden. God's plan of redemption uh, all the way from then is accomplished and fulfilled right here with Jesus coming into the world. Verse 4, he says, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That word to redeem means to compensate, to atone for, or to make amends. Um, the exact Greek word is, is exagorazo. This is the same word used by a slave who is being released from bondage. 
And that's why Jesus came, to buy those who put their faith in him out of our bondage, out of the requirements of the law, and out of the curse that comes from the law. See, Jesus what did what the law could never do for you and for me. Christ on the cross became sin for you. He became sin for me, and he paid for it by his death. And by God's grace, you and I are redeemed. We are made right before God. That's what the promise is redemption. And this is exactly what these legalists at the time were trying to accomplish on their own. Just by being religious, by by trying to be self-righteous, trying to earn redemption. We talked last week uh, in our small group about, uh, asked the question, why would anyone choose religion over relationship, works over grace? And what we kept coming back to is really this idea of control. We don't want to give up control, right? These first century Christians didn't want to give up control. Well, control is exactly what's put you and I at odds with God. That's exactly what has resulted in the brokenness in our world, this mess all around us. And so we think we can redeem ourselves, but we can't. And God knows that. God knew that when he made his promise to Abraham. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this, In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption, to be made right, to be atoned for. Our sins have been atoned for in Jesus. So at the right time, exactly the right way, God fulfilled His promise to bring redemption, to bring healing to the world through Christ, being born, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for your sins and for mine and and rising from the grave on the third day to redeem us, to justify us before holy God, not by our works, but by his grace. Have you ever been in in a restaurant and um, uh, the the waitress comes up to you and says, oh, uh, when it's time to pay the bill, she says, Oh, uh, someone took care of it for you. It's like, what? It's kind of a, it's nice, but it's kind of a weird feeling, right? They're, they're, maybe they're gone already. Or maybe it was somebody that you knew that you just said hello to, or, or maybe not. I've had it happen where I, I didn't know there was anybody in the restaurant that we even knew. Um, it, was, it was taken care of. What a great surprise. But that uncomfortability, it was like, uh, you know, um, I hope I was nice. I hope I was treating my kids right. I hope I, hope I did all the right things. I, I wish I could say thank you, right? Well, Christ has done everything to redeem us. Christ has paid the bill for us. And, and choosing uh, to work my way to God, choosing religion, is kind of like me saying when the waitress tells me my bill has been paid, it's like, oh, okay, thanks, but I, I'll wash dishes anyway, or I want to pay anyway, right? It's offensive to the one who paid the bill, and it's also unnecessary. It cheapens that gift, and and God has offered that gift. He has given us that gift, that atonement for our sins through Jesus. And so today, if you receive the promise by faith, redemption is yours. You are made right before holy God. Every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit is atoned for in Jesus. So the promise is redemption, but also we see in this passage that the promise is adoption. Verse 5, he says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. I mean, is there a more beautiful picture than the picture of adoption? 
We have several friends uh, who've adopted children from around the world, and it's a long, difficult process. We, we prayed with them through the process, and they've had to take trips across the world, and when they share their stories um, of going to finally uh, pick up those children, um, the picture of those children running into their arms, and often these kids come from orphanages and some of the most difficult places of the world, and they've never experienced or never known family. They've never known the love of a mother or a father or, or siblings. It's an amazing picture, and it's amazing, uh, beautiful uh, picture of adoption, of including these children in their families. And Tony and I, well, Tony has always talked about the possibility of wanting to adopt someday. And I'm like, as, have you met our kids? As tough as our kids have been, I think we got plenty. Just kidding, our kids are great. But still, it's, it's a lot to commit to. It's a lot, but it's so beautiful and the need is so great. But listen, through Jesus, through Christ, we are all adopted into God's family, an intimate part of the family, loved by the Father. See, we're not just redeemed. We're not just declared right in the promise and then sent on our way. Our debt has been paid. We've been cleansed from sin, right, and the debt we owe. And we're also brought into the family, adopted, given a father who loves and cares for us, who has seen you, who has seen me in all my worst moments and still calls me to himself, still loves me. He's seen us in our lostness. We've never known, you have never known what it's like to be loved by a father like this, this kind of love that comes from only from our heavenly father. And he calls us to that. The promises that he's brought um, adoption to us. He's, he wants to draw us into the family. And the promise is inclusion in that family of God. And that's a reminder to these Jewish believers here in Galatia. Down in verse 28 in this chapter, uh, which we didn't read um, today, but it says, or, oh, I'm sorry, this is in chapter 3, we read last week. It says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ. This promise of adoption has been given to all to be in Christ Jesus. It means I am in the family. I am in a relationship which is what Jesus has brought us into. In verse 6, he says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This word Abba is an Aramaic word of affection for Father used in the intimacy of a family circle. And it passed on to the vocabulary of the Greek, the Greek-speaking Christians here, this This idea, this Abba Father is this close, intimate relationship with the Father. And so he's given us new desires, right? In Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, when we put our faith in Christ, receive his spirit, he changes us. He transforms us. He brings us into the family and our desires, our outlook our perception of the world and and our wisdom and discernment begins to change. He transforms us from our selfish, destructive desires to a desire for Him. Now I'm in this relationship of a father, a loving father and a loving family. And so my desire is to love Him more, to love Him 
better to experience his love for me like a child running and jumping into the lap of their father wanting to to please their father he's given us this relationship with him now this beautiful reality is part of what some are not comfortable with right it's that control aspect when it's just religion when it's just what i do it's cut and dried but relationship this intimate relationship means vulnerability right it means trust and for for many of us that means getting hurt For some of us, this particular relationship, this particular picture of a father and a child, well, we don't have a good representation of that maybe in this life. Now, I had a pretty good relationship. I had a great relationship with my dad, but he has had his issues as I do as a father and as a a human. But our heavenly father has a perfect love. He is faithful. He is perfect. He's the very definition of love. Psalm 27.10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Listen, whatever your experience uh, in family, whatever your experience um, with parents, your father, your mother, whatever your experience in any kind of relationship on this earth, that does not properly demonstrate who our heavenly father is. That does not uh, give us a, a, a good picture of this relationship that God wants to have with us, with His unconditional love. He knows me. He cares for me. His love never fails me. He is drawing and leading me through His Spirit. He's changing me, right? So many promises are mine as a child of the Most High God. Romans 8.38, just one of those promises. Neither death nor life. Now this is this is mine in Christ Jesus. I've been adopted into the family and now I can claim this that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ev- ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a love that you can't know in this world. It's a love that only our heavenly Father, our creator and our Savior has for us. It's the love that, that propelled Him into our world, into our broken world, to pay the price for our sins, to come pursue us, to draw us to Himself. And today, He's calling to you. That's His love that's calling to you through His Spirit, to come, to come to the family. So this, is, this, this promise of adoption is a relationship like you and I have never experienced before in this world. So the promise is redemption. The promise is adoption. And we see here um, in this passage that the promise is freedom, right? In verse 7, it says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, without Christ on our own, rejecting God and trying to live life and and, and trying to be good enough, trying to work our way to goodness, um, we can no longer we can we cannot get to God that way, right? And the language that he uses here is much stronger than that. He calls us a slave to our flesh. We are a slave outside of the relationship with our Father. Now you may say, No, I can do whatever I want. I'm not a I'm not a slave. I don't have any addictions, I don't have anything like that, I'm in complete control. So you don't have any regrets? If you don't, it's because you're lying to yourself, right? 
See, our bodies are waging battle against us every day. Our desires, our flesh. We may think we have good intentions, but the truth is we're all creatures of selfishness, right? We're all in bondage to that. We're all manipulative in some ways. And we're trying to protect number one, first of all. And we're a slave to that. In John chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Jesus answered them saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. See, our flesh has a power over us. We don't always recognize it, but we are being driven and directed every day by our sinful desires and passions. And what happens is it leads to destruction. It leads to pain. It leads to unfaithfulness. As much as I try, as much as we try and want to be good in my flesh, on my own, the Bible says it's impossible and that I'm a slave to sin. H.G. Wells once said, I'm not so much of a human being as a civil war. And every man confronts this civil war within himself. The question is, Am I going to confront that civil war or am I going to let Jesus? Because Jesus has already, um, has already won the war. He's already bought our freedom if we will trust in him. But if I try to handle it on my own, if I try to deal with my sin and my brokenness and my evil desires on my own, it'll be this constant civil war in my life and I will not have peace. So when we go through life trying to atone or make up for my own weaknesses, our own bad decisions, my own bad thoughts... And I'm trying to win this war on my own. Paul Paul talks about it here in verse 8. He says, 8 and 9. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak? This This is how he describes living according to our flesh, apart from Christ. He says, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? See, this elementary principles of the world comes back here. What he's talking about is logic, just human logic, according to my flesh. You hurt me, I hurt you, or I'm going to do my best to get out of this situation. I'm going to try and figure out a way to do better or be better. He says that's worthless and weak, and it makes me a slave. But you and I have been redeemed We've been rescued from a life of trying to prove our worthiness. We've been rescued from trying to find or prove our value. We've been made sons and daughters of the Most High in Christ Jesus. We've been given a seat at the table of the family of God with all its rights, with all its privileges. And we have peace for today. That's what the scripture tells us. We have peace for today and hope for tomorrow. We have the very presence of God walking with us, the spirit guiding us in that relationship, encouraging us. And yet we continue to climb back into that cage of self and sin. Believer, he's talking about you this morning as well. We've been freed from that. And yet we want to climb back into that cage day in and day out. He's talking specifically here about legalism in the church, but we we often put ourselves back into handcuffs by seeking self rather than to please God. Listening to myself and to the world rather than listening to and making space to hear the Spirit of God speaking to me. And He's speaking. 
verse 8 and 9 says that we're no longer a slave. So no longer a slave, now I have a choice. When I was under the bondage and the, and the, and the um, strength and power of sin in my life, I didn't have a choice. But now that Christ has won the victory over our sin, he says he's redeemed us. It says that he's, he's broken us free from that slavery. Now I have a choice. Will I live for Christ? Will I live in freedom? Will I live in the abundant life? Or will I live in that weak and worthless slavery to my flesh and my own human desires? The bottom line of what Paul is saying here, and I believe God is saying to all of us, is God made a promise to all of mankind. The promise of redemption, the promise of adoption, and the promise of freedom. And he fulfilled that promise in Christ. And he's calling you. He's calling you to put down your weapons, trying to win that war. Stop fighting the war that only he can and has won in your life. I think of the testimony of John Wesley. It's a powerful one. Uh, Wesley was basically the founder of the Methodist Church and a great theologian. But think about it. He was the son of a clergyman, and he was a clergyman himself. He was orthodox, right? Uh, In belief, faithful, in morality, he was full of good works. He did ministries in prisons and sweatshops and slums. He gave food. He gave clothing. uh, He gave education to, to children in the slums. He observed uh, both Saturday and Sunday as the Sabbath. He sailed from England to the American colonies as a missionary. He studied the Bible. He prayed. He fasted. And he gave regularly. Yet all the time he was bound in the chains of his own religious efforts. Because he was trusting in what he could do to make himself right before God instead of trusting in what Jesus had done. Later, as he listened to a preacher give a sermon, he describes the moment like this. He says, about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley went on to, to, to give his uh, testimony and, and, and write about the fact that he believed that he was not actually a Christian until that moment, till he realized and put his faith in Christ for his salvation. He said all that work that he had done, he came to a point where he realized he wasn't actually saved because he hadn't put his faith in what Christ had done to bring him redemption, adoption, and freedom. And he looked back on all of his religious activity before he was truly saved, and he, and he said this, quote, I had even the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. He saw his life as a way to, uh, the things in his life, a way to earn his way back to God, a way to earn a right relationship with God, and he realized that it was faith in Jesus, that God had done all that. God had given the promise, Uh, to Abraham, that he would bless all the world, all the nations and families of the world through his seed, which is Christ Jesus. And he did that when Jesus was born right at the right time, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, shed his blood for our sins, taking on your sin, taking on my sin, 
and then rising from the grave on the third day, conquering death and coming to you this morning through his spirit, through his word and asking you to put your faith in him, telling you to come through faith in Christ. If you're a believer and maybe you've put your faith in Christ for salvation, but you've, you've not lived as a, a son of God or a daughter of God, you've, you've not uh, walked in that freedom and others don't see it in your life, you've forgotten it. This morning, I want to encourage you to worship, remembering that, live more and more in the freedom of being a child of the Most High God. Press into His Word. Spend time in prayer, not because it makes me right before God, but because I realize and I know and I believe that I am in this intimate father-child relationship with my Heavenly Father, my Creator, my Savior. And I pray for prayer for you today for every one of you is that you put your faith in Christ for salvation and for fullness of life today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, that you're faithful to your promise. Your promise, uh, your promises are not um, based on our abilities or even our faithfulness. Lord, your, your promises are based on your holiness and your justice on your character which is perfect, God. And Lord, you've pursued us through Jesus. You fulfilled the promise in Christ. And Lord, your desire is that we would come to Jesus for redemption, for adoption, and for freedom this morning. And so I pray for each one of us here that we would respond appropriately, surrendering our control for faith in Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen.